everyone and welcome to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 22nd of May, 2011. It has been quite a while since I've put out a Firearms Cafe episode. Almost a month. Uh, you know, I had planned on doing one a couple of weeks ago, but we had family that came in from out of town and then uh, we had some other stuff come up the following week, so I actually kind of got a little bit further behind than than I wanted to, uh, but we should be able hopefully to make up for some of it today. Uh, now speaking of that, some of the news that I'm going to talk about is a little bit older, uh, but I still want to bring it up because I still think that we need to uh, be aware of it and kind of talk about it. And some of it's going to be, as you know, I live in Arizona, so some of it will be Arizona-centric. If uh, you guys would like to contact the show, let's go ahead and get our contact info out of the way. Uh, you can do so a couple of different ways. You can either uh, send me an email, and if you wanted to have something played on the show, uh, in that email you can send me a WAV file or an MP3 file and I can play it for you. Uh, or if you just want me to read out the email, I can do that as well. So the email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. If you would like to leave a voicemail for the show, you can call up 206-339-3266. Again, 206-339-3266. Uh, as most of you guys know, I do use that voicemail for my other podcast, which is The Armed Ape. Just let me know when you leave a message uh, that it's for Firearms Cafe or for Armed Ape, whichever you'd prefer it to be uh, played on. Let's see, what else, what else do we got going? Uh, that's kind of about it, I think, for contact info and stuff. So let's go ahead and let's kind of jump right in. One of the first things we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to play some of the feedback that I've got. I've got about three or four uh, pieces of feedback uh, that, I've, that I've had kind of saved up and stuff. I haven't gotten any new feedback recently, so if you guys want to send something in, uh, got a question, got a comment, got a suggestion... You know, feel free to ship it in, and uh, we'll go ahead and play it on the show as soon as we can. Hey, Tony. This is uh, Pablo over here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. been listening to your podcast for a while and uh, enjoy it. Although i got to say that wasn't always the case. Uh, I just recently started listening to the different various Gun Rights Network podcasts, and the first time I listened to your Firearms Cafe, I really wasn't impressed and didn't come back to it right away. But then I finally uh, finally did and uh, listened to an episode or two and kind of got hooked. I think you're doing a great job like your, your commentary. Hey, I've been following the uh, your talks about concealed carry and open carry, and I was just going to pass this along. We had a situation over here in Las Cruces just yesterday where a man was uh, spotted in our, our downtown mall carrying a handgun in a holster and uh, the reaction that the police department had to it. Uh, just for a little background, uh, this downtown mall, it runs down about three city blocks in between various businesses, some of it being uh, revamped. Uh, it's a location for the farmer's market, those kind of things. And it's also uh, frequented a lot by, by vagrants, too, with just uh, out-of-towners, so they're still presence of that there. They're trying to clean it up, but it's not always the, the best place to be. So this is like 10 o'clock in the morning, and the police department got a call that there was a, a man, a shirtless man, and that he was uh, 
had a gun in a holster, and he was, he was either sitting or, or lying down at the various reports, reclining, I think he said, one of the reports on it. Uh, so the the reaction of the police department was uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, they they surrounded this guy and uh, placed a number of nearby businesses, schools, government buildings, including the municipal and district courts, which which are not too far away from there, on lockdown. Uh, this according to a Sun Blusters Sun News article. And uh, so they detained this guy. It sounds like for me, maybe up to an hour, but but the upshot of the whole thing was that he was released. And, of course, as you probably know, uh, open carry here in New Mexico has been around for a long time, but we don't see a lot of it anymore. I've been here a long time, and it seems like it used to be a little more common. I know a lot of people concealed carry here, and that's becoming more and more popular, I think, as it is around the country. Um, you know, the police broke, spokesman said that uh, how suspicious the situation was, and they appreciated people calling in, uh, but that there wasn't any... Uh, Laws broken. I'm sure the cops probably checked him out, yeah, but they went to great, great lengths to do it. Uh, supposedly, they uh, kind of cleared the area out of there, uh, placed uh, some observers to watch this guy. They brought in some kind of a shield so that when the officers approached him, uh, they would, they'd be protected if this guy reacted negative negatively to them, and so on. So it, it was it was pretty interesting. So. You know, I don't know. I'm sure it's going to, a lot of people are going to probably take the, the stance that, you know, there's not a place for, for open carry. And, and if you do so, you can probably expect to have quite a, a response from the local authorities. But anyway, uh, over here, everything's good. Uh, concealed carry is, is alive and well and becoming more and more popular from all the people that I talk to. So, uh, Anyway, continue. I just thought I'd throw that in there because it seemed kind of right on topic of what you've been talking about here lately. So there you have it. Uh, keep up the good work. Adios. Hey, Pablo. Thanks for sending that in. I'm glad you uh, kind of gave the show a second chance. Glad to have you as a listener. Hopefully you'll send in some more stuff. Uh, I think the um, the governor you guys have now, is that, oh, what the heck's her name? Susanna Martinez? Is that right, Martinez? I think I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Susanna Martinez. Anyway, she was supposed to be, um, I think she was Republican, and uh, she was supposed to be pretty strong on on gun rights. So she's supposed to be pretty pro-gun. Um, have you uh, have you heard anything about her? Has, has anything come up yet where she's kind of been tested on that? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I know that uh, especially. In a lot of the outlying areas, New Mexico is real pro-gun. And then when you get into some of the places like maybe Santa Fe or Albuquerque, there's a much more of a liberal slant. Kind of like how we have, uh, in general, you know, here in Arizona, Tucson is considered probably to be uh, more liberal, uh, politically leaning that way than, uh, than uh, Phoenix or the Maricopa County areas would be. Uh, and, and then, of course, most of the outlying towns in Arizona, when you're looking at places, you know, like Kingman and Globe and Miami and, and uh, you know, some of the other smaller towns and stuff, a lot of those tend to be uh, more conservative in nature, for lack of a better word. But I guess, you know, probably talking about more pro-gun than anything else. Uh, but anyway, kind of getting back to, to your uh, 
story that you're related. <laughs> I wonder how they would have reacted had the guy not been shirtless and not been kind of laying around or was he walking around or what was he doing. But if I wonder if the guy had been in a pair of, you know, khaki slacks, uh, you know, with some... And, and wearing a shirt, <laughs> um, I think probably that the uh, the reaction might have been a little bit different. Uh, but that's kind of it's unfortunate that in a state that has open carry, that the police would overreact like that. Um, you know, it would it would depend on I guess kind of what their report was. But if they had the report of there's just some guy out here with a gun and a holster. And if he's just sitting there or laying, even if he's just laying on the ground, I don't see why you would have to do all that stuff. Again, especially in a state that has open carry uh, and where it's um, uh, probably much like Arizona, you, you probably don't see it all the time. Uh, but I, I used to know some people that lived in, in uh, New Mexico and they open carried. Of course, they were in a small town. And uh, even there, they, they kind of got uh, a little bit of... of um, well, not, I wouldn't say hassle. What had happened is um, they got the police called on him just to kind of go and investigate it. But it turned out that the the guy that I knew, what the officer that showed up, happened to be a guy that he was just friends with anyway. So it was just sort of like, eh, it was no big deal. Um, and when I talked to my friend about it, he said that most of the police there don't think open carry is a real big deal and uh his buddy that was a police officer had told him that he really wouldn't have done anything if it, even if it was you know uh, just somebody else you know you could tell that because you know if you if you see a guy with a gun on his hip uh whether you're at Walmart or whether you're at the you know the uh the Bass Pro Shop or the Cabela's or something like that uh you know, generally the people that I've seen, like I said, out here, it doesn't really raise an eyebrow much. Um, I open carried, uh, well, when was it? A week or so ago. Um, I don't think anybody even noticed. And if they did, I didn't see any reaction. Uh, but again, you know, I wasn't, you know, wearing a Speedo and no, and no shirt. So I think as long as you're dressed appropriately and things like that, uh, especially if you're uh if you're dressed maybe in what they would call business casual a lot of times people will just assume you're some type of law enforcement uh and out here most people won't think twice now that may that may be a little bit different since we had the shooting down in tucson and that's kind of fresh in everybody's mind um although it's it's been a little while now but uh like i said i did the other day and and you know nobody pulled me over or anything like that so uh, but it was yeah but getting back to that it's really too bad that they decided that they needed to lock down all those businesses and do all that stuff again just it's you know clear overreaction uh, especially the, you know the police should know better than that and they should be able to get a little bit or you know maybe it's the 911 people when they get the call that they're not getting enough information um uh, so anyway um Kind of on a related note, if there's a, another podcast, he hasn't put out a show in a while. He, he does stuff on Twitter every once in a while, uh, but it's called Open Carry Radio. He's got a lot of uh, experiences that he's had. He's over in California. I've talked about him on previous shows, 
And uh, what I'll do is I'll put a link to his website if it's still up. Uh, I know his shows are, uh, his podcast is still available, at least over on iTunes, so you could go back and listen to some, some back issues. Uh, but over there you really see that even though it's legal to carry openly, uh, again, as long as the gun, the gun can't be loaded over there, um, you see a lot of the hassles that this guy goes through, and, you, and it's interesting to, to go some of his back issues and kind of listen to what he's done because what happens is he sort of educates the, his own police department in his area, and he actually gets some change by just kind of walking around and out in public with a handgun. So we see that there can be political change, you know, and then what happened is it seemed that that, and I'm not saying it's because of him, but because of people like him, uh, they they were doing a lot of more open carry rallies, kind of getting out there more, and uh, then you would see that a lot of the the anti-gun legislators tried to shut that stuff down, um, you know, tried to get op- any type of open carry uh, to be against the law there. So we'll have to see what what happens over there in California. Um, a lot of crazy stuff going on over there. But anyway, thanks for uh, sending that in, Pablo. Hope to hear from you again. Like I said, if if you uh, know anything about uh, Governor Martinez, has she done anything uh, pro or anti-gun? Has she kind of lived up to some of the stuff that she was talking about? Uh, I'd be interested to know. Uh, if you can, shoot in an email. Hopefully, like I said, we'll hear from you again soon. Hey, Tony. Brad from West Michigan. Hey, just a couple of <clears throat> quick comments, um, kind of based off your last Firearms Cafe show. I think it was 54. Uh, one quick follow-up. Uh, Tom had phoned in about uh, his experiences shooting a 40 cal in the Glock Gen 4. Um, I've owned a 40 cal in a Glock Gen 3 and a Gen 4. I've also owned it uh, in a baby Glock. Uh, Gen 3. So my Gen 3, I've had a baby Glock Gen 3, 27. I've had a 23 Gen 3, and I've also had a 23 Gen 4. And, you know, I was first introduced, uh, my first gun was a Glock, and it was a 40 cal, and that's kind of what I, I guess you could say, grew up with. But um, And I really liked it. I, I liked the Glock, but, you know, I even after uh, quite a bit of shooting, uh, boy, several years of shooting, um, I picked up a friend's uh, 9mm um, Glock 20, I'm sorry, Glock 19 Gen 3 at one time or another, and I, and I really felt like I could shoot better with that round for some reason or another. I think it was mostly based on the follow-up shots. I just liked the recoil. The felt recoil to me on a 9mm was quite a bit more comfortable. I could get the sights on target, uh, follow-through, uh, follow-up shots much better better and i don't know whether it was just a mental game or what but i i was just a better shooter with that nine millimeter and uh quite some time i i didn't do really didn't make any changes but about three months ago i sold my 23 gen 4 because i had gone from a gen 3 to a gen 4 23 sold that and i bought a gen 4 19 and i really really like this gun i um I do, uh, as far as how it holds in my hand, I do prefer uh, 
I prefer the largest back strap, and I have medium-sized hands, but I just feel like I get a better grip on the gun. I feel like I can get my uh, sight picture better, faster. It just feels better to me, and I guess that's all what it's about is what feels good to the shooter. And uh, and that one, uh, that Gen 419 is, is my favorite gun I've ever owned. Um, something else. Oh, open carry. I appreciate your comments on that and your feedback. Uh, actually, I did... Um, last weekend, went out and open carried for the first time, uh, officially for the first time. <clears throat> I had open carried before, but it's always been around the house, out in the yard and whatnot. But uh, last weekend, I went out, <clears throat> went to the store, went to a dollar store, went to the gas station, uh, took a half mile or so walk around with my with my boy, my two kids, and uh, I'm it's uneventful. Um, I got to tell you, it was a different feeling for me. It, it felt kind of, I was very conscious of the fact that uh, that I was open carrying. Normally when I conceal carry, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's there, but nobody knows it's there and kind of tend to forget about it in a way, you know. But uh, it's a different feeling, that's for sure. I didn't have any run-ins. I didn't have any, uh, I didn't talk to anybody. In fact, I would venture to say that nobody even noticed. And if they did, they certainly didn't react in any way, shape, or form. So that was it for me. So I'm gonna I'm planning on doing some more open carrying. Um, <clears throat> I did talk to uh, an officer here in town, somebody I've known for a while, not a close friend, but somebody I, I've known. And uh, basically, his response was, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. Um, apparently. <clears throat> Uh, recently, and I and I kind of was made aware of this from another friend of mine who had sent this to me. Uh, there was a an email that went out, or a, a memo that went out to the state police, um, Michigan State Police, <clears throat> uh, updating them on current open carry and concealed carry laws and this kind of thing. And um, apparently, there's for some reason or another, uh, there's been quite a lot of 911 operator training for a uh, man with a gun. And they're being trained what questions to ask, um, you know, how to how to kind of take over the phone or by the person that's calling, whether or not this person is an immediate threat, this kind of thing. Is it holstered? Is it, you know, this kind of thing. And apparently um, that's been going on quite a bit here for the past, <clears throat> over the past year. And uh, my buddy who's the officer, basically his conclusion was, most likely, if someone were to call me in, the uh, 911 dispatcher would be able to gather from what the person said on the other end of the phone. If the other person is obviously, you know, being honest and isn't just freaking out um, that I am just probably an open carry person, uh, they will, uh, according to him, uh, dispatch an officer. At that time, the officer will have you know, a choice to make if he if he sees me, if he recognizes this as being a non-threat, non-threatening situation, he may not do anything. He might just drive by. He might just look. He may stop. He may, you know, just engage in conversation, that kind of thing, just to get a, you know, a sense of uh, what my intentions are. But he seems to think that, uh, that I shouldn't have any issues. In Michigan, uh, open carry is not a law. It is not legal to open carry, but it's not illegal to open carry. So we're one of those states 
I actually think Ohio is another one like this where there is no law in the book that says that it's illegal to open carry. So therefore, by default, it's legal to open carry. Uh, we have some gun-free zones in Michigan. But oddly enough, and this is what really kind of confused me at first, but I got some uh, clarification on this. If it is illegal, let's, let's, I'll use um, a school, for example. If you have a concealed carry license, it's illegal for you to conceal carry a gun on school property. But if you have a concealed license, it is legal for you to open carry on school property. So basically to wrap it up, if you have a concealed carry license and you want to carry in a gun-free zone in Michigan, which is like a school, a church, um, federal buildings, I think banks, uh, daycare centers, I know I'm missing one or two, um, you can't conceal carry in those areas, in those gun-free zones, but you can open carry in those gun-free zones with a concealed carry license. If you don't have a concealed carry license, you cannot carry, obviously, concealed or open in those gun-free zones. And in fact, without a concealed carry license in Michigan, um, you are quite a bit more restricted on where you can uh, open carry. There is a few more restrictions on it. However, it is still legal for you to open carry in Michigan without a concealed carry license. It's just a little bit, I guess you would say, more difficult to do, and you just have to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings, where you're at, and if you're in a gun-free zone. But anyways, uh, basically, uh, the last comment that my buddy said, too, was, hey, you know, he doesn't disagree with what I'm doing. He totally, he's a Second Amendment uh, supporter, and he, and he does believe in people um, arming themselves, and that type of thing. His recommendation was just skip the gun-free zones, because what ends up happening is if I, there, you're kind of perceived if you're open carrying on a school or in a church or at a bank or something like this where it's a gun-free zone, even though it's not illegal, you can stir up a lot more problems. The chances of you having to deal with just dealing with issues, dealing with being stopped, possibly being arrested, possibly going in front of a judge, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, are, are you asking for it? if you carry in those zones, and, and his comment was, you kind of are. We could debate about that, and I, and I know what my feelings are on it. I feel like you should be able to carry anywhere, and it's not really me trying to make a point. It's just that's my right. That I believe that firmly, that that's my right to do so. But at the same time, I've got to be a responsible adult. I've got kids and stuff like this, and I just don't want to have to deal with some issues, you know, that may go along with it. Anyways, I'm sorry I've rambled on, but... Um, I just wanted to update, update you on that. I uh, hope you had a great Easter, by the way. I forgot to wish you a happy Easter. And uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon, Tony. Bye. Hey, Brad. Thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. As you could tell from his uh, happy Easter wishes, I've had this feedback for a little bit. Um, a few things, uh, one of the, you know, that kind of popped out. If you're used to... Um, basically conceal carrying most of the time or or if that's let's say that when you've carried a gun that's all you've ever done the very first time that you do it it is it's a very different feeling it's and it's a feeling that that when you're concealed of course nobody knows uh 
uh, if it's concealed properly, even if it prints a little bit, you know, unless the gun actually, you know, uh, your, your cover garment exposes the actual uh, handgun, you know, if it kind of th shows through your clothing, you know, out here, again, most people aren't going to notice. Most people are going to assume you've got maybe a cell phone or or some type of other device. Uh, they're probably going to think it's a cell phone more than anything else. Uh, but it definitely is. It's a different feeling. Um, you have, uh, especially if you're not doing it all the time, uh, and then this is something that I've experienced um, since I don't I don't open carry all that much. You are definitely very aware that your firearm is exposed and it's out for everybody to see. Whether other people notice that or not, it's hard to kind of shake that that feeling. Um, but uh, you know, probably ninety percent of the time, most people aren't like we've said before. Most people aren't going to notice. Uh, and it was good to hear that, you know, that you talked to that police officer friend of yours and uh, kind of got what their perspective is on it. And that kind of leads me back to the 911 operator. I think that if, if the different departments are actually willing to train those people and say, hey, look, open carry in this state is legal or in Michigan's case it's not illegal so you know if there's not a law saying you can't you you can type thing or like in uh, New Mexico where Pablo is uh, if there if, if you can get those people those uh, 911 operators trained to find out what's going on you know what what actually the situation is then I think you avoid a lot of the experience that that uh, happened out in Pablo's area, and then you would get something more uh, akin to the what the officer that you spoke to, Brad, talked about when he said, you know, it's kind of going to be up to them, uh, and if they've got the if they've got good information, initial information from that 911 operator, then there's probably not going to be a problem. Um, interesting to hear your experience too with the 40 cal. Like I said, I'm not a uh, for me, it was a little snappy. Um, I, I wouldn't think that I would have a lot of problems if that was all that I had uh, in being able to train with it and stuff. But I'm kind of with you. I like the 9mm. Uh, I also like the 45. And I, I know I've mentioned before, but I've got that FNP 45. And uh, it's surprisingly soft shooting, I guess you could say, for a 45. I've shot. Um, what did I shoot a Springfield and uh, it, it definitely there was definitely a different I think I shot just a Springfield 1911 and I, I know of course the FNP 45 is not a 1911 but just in comparing something that's shooting the same caliber now I definitely felt that the the recoil and being able to follow up on the um, on the, that FNP was better for me um, and you know I've spoken about it before it is it's a big gun. Now I've carried it concealed. I've got a, um, a crossbreed super tuck for it, and you do have to. Um, it, some people would think, well, it's such a big gun and it's kind of thicker that it's it's going to be a lot harder to conceal. It's really not, especially if you're going with inside the waistband. Uh, I've had pretty like I said, I've, and I've carried it concealed a bunch. Um, I prefer probably what I'd prefer to carry 
uh, for concealability. I'm so used to carrying either the uh, the Glock 17 or the 26. Nine times out of ten, I'll be carrying the uh, um, the 17, and that's what I've kind of always carried. So I'm just I'm just used to it. Uh, now, and I, I know I've talked about before. Um, getting like a backup gun either a small revolver or maybe like the little ruger lcp or something similar to that maybe like a keltec or something like that uh speaking of that you know i don't know if i read this email off or not so i'm going to go ahead and read this because we're uh, i know i just mentioned about the uh getting kind of the backup gun and on uh i think it was over at, was it on this show or armed ape show i was talking about the lcp and the uh LCRs, you know, about getting the smaller little guns for a backup gun. So let me go ahead and read this email that I got. And like I said, I don't, I don't think I've read this. And this is from a gentleman named uh, Tony, and uh, he sent in about the uh, the LCR, which is Ruger's 357 Magnum. And uh, I'll just go ahead and read it. He writes, "I picked up a Ruger LCR in 357 Magnum this past winter." I previously have been shooting primarily 9mm and 45 ACP Glocks, uh, models 21, 17L, 19, and 26, uh, since the early 90s. And it was quite a change to go to a revolver. I don't believe I have even shot a revolver previously, except perhaps a 22 long rifle revolver. I decided on the following issues. Easier to reload reliable ammo than for semi-autos. 357 Magnum and 38 Special, common and readily, readily available. Excuse me. 38 Special plus P has about the same energy as 45. Uh, 357 Magnum energy does go beyond the 45 ACP. The size and weight for concealed carry. The Baby Glock 26 weighs 19.75 ounces empty, 26.10 loaded. Uh, the LCR 357 is 17.10 uh, empty. And about 20 ounces loaded. Uh, the baby Glocks don't pocket carry very well, although I did pocket carry the G26 previously. I have shot 38 Special Plus P so far, and some hand-loaded 357 Magnums, a light load. I haven't shot any of the heavily loaded 357 Magnums yet. I recently bought a box of Hornady Critical Defense, but I haven't shot it yet. Recoil is not that much different than the Glock 45 ACP so far, but the muzzle does flip a little. The trigger is a little different if you have to, excuse me, let me start over there. The trigger is a little different as you have discussed, but what is great is the staging on the LCR. The trigger is smooth and just before the trigger breaks there is a pause or a notch felt in the trigger pull, which with a little practice allows one to sight accurately. The LCR-357 Magnum has a stainless steel frame while the LCR-38 Special is an alloy frame, an aluminum alloy frame, excuse me. I was concerned about the flame cutting on the aluminum uh, alloy frame, so I waited until I found a, a deal on a 357 Magnum. I got one for $420. Uh, then he's got a link to uh, a YouTube video about uh, the, the flame cutting on the uh, aluminum alloy frame. Uh, he further writes, I have since also picked up a Marlin 1894 lever action in 357 Magnum. I have several 308 Winchester rifles, but decided on a lever action 357 Magnum as a bug out rifle along with my LCR. And then he uh, 
he also gives another uh, link to a video for YouTube, and he says this basically describes why. And what I'll do in the show notes, if you go over to firearmscafe.com, I'll put uh, links to those in the show notes to both of those videos uh, that Tony had mentioned. So, you know, on a couple of things with that backup gun, I think probably what I'm going to go with is going to be a little 357 Magnum, a little revolver. I don't know whether or not I'm going to go with the LCR or whether I'll go with maybe a Smith & Wesson, but it's, it's going to be down to one of those two. Uh, another thing that I had heard is that the way that the pistol is designed, or the revolver, I guess I should say, is designed, uh, is that some of the speed loaders don't work as well in the Ruger, uh, and and they're a little bit they're designed they work better I guess in the Smith and Wessons. It's just the kind of the uh, the design of the actual handgun. So we'll kind of have to see on that, uh, and then we'll have to go and see which one I actually like the best. Um, I don't like on the uh, the newer Smith and Wessons. I don't like how they have that that uh, stupid lock that you've got in there, that internal lock that you have to use a little key on. Uh, I know that they occasionally have runs on. Uh, I think it's on a one of their. Oh, it's like a 340 or you know, who knows what all the different numbers that they got. I can't keep track of them. Uh, but one of them they made one that was kind of like a retro version that didn't have that lock, and it was real super popular. So they kind of come out with it every once in a while. Uh, but I don't know if that's in. I, I'm I'm pretty sure you can get it in 357. Um, but I wanted to say thanks for writing in, Tony. Sorry it took me so long to get back. Uh, this was back in uh, probably about a month ago. He wrote, so hopefully you're not cursing my name there too much. One other point, and then we'll kind of move on. You know, he had talked about that he got that um, the lever action rifle in uh, 357. And, uh, you know, that's, again, probably one of the things that is going to maybe uh, has pushed me over more into getting that revolver and in getting a, and in, excuse me, and in getting a 357. I've already got a, a big 686, uh, which I've had for years and years, and I like it. And I've always wanted to get a lever action, a Marlin, get a nice Marlin and 357. Of course, in 357, you can also shoot the 38s in that as well. Um... And it's nice to have sort of that that uh, commonality in ammo, uh, and especially like that if he was using that as a bug out gun. I know on some you can get sometimes they'll call them guide guns or or um, there some of them are are you can get the um, I don't know if you still can I know you used to be able to find them every once in a while. You could find in 44 Magnum and in the 357. Uh, in the in the in the rifles and those lever actions, you could find some that were takedown, so the, that basically splits in half. Uh, and then you know that would be an ideal thing because you uh, you've got kind of a short carbine style or length rifle anyway. And if you can get it to where you can break it down, uh, it can go in actually a small, uh, pretty small case and would be especially good for a uh, uh, you know a truck gun or something like that. So, but anyway, I've talked before about that I really like the uh, the 357 uh, and I think it's a great round uh, and especially once you get it in a rifle if you load it a little bit hotter you can get some really good uh, for lack of a better term ballistics out of it uh, but you guys know what I mean when I say that uh, I think it's a it's a real good round out of that little rifle 
Uh, let's see. Uh, I think I got another piece of feedback. So let's go ahead and play that now. Hey, Tony, this is Tom from Roanoke, Virginia. I got off early again from work today. Just a quick range report. I went to the local range and rented a SIG P250. It's a modular unit that you can change the caliber, the grip size, um, whatever. Uh, I realized, I didn't realize until after I rented it to shoot it that it's double action only. I guess if I'd have read the literature a little more carefully, I'd have realized that. Um, not a bad trigger, kind of like shooting a revolver almost, real long, pressed through stroke um, without the stacking, but still, I wasn't that wild about it. It has a really, really high bore axis, a lot more than a Glock, so it's kind of snappy in recoil. I would say this is probably a mid-size frame, about approximately the size of a Glock 19. Um, I shot it pretty well. I didn't do much more than 7 to 10 yards. Um, I wouldn't feel underarmed with it, but um, I like the modularity of it, that you have one chassis that you're recording the serial number of, but you could change grip size, caliber, so on and so forth. But then in hindsight, thinking about that, uh, I think I'd rather just have two separate pistols that way I'd have one to carry, one for a backup if something happened. Or if uh, I was with another person and I wanted them to be armed as well, I could give them the second firearm. And if I had the P250, it's just one firearm at a time. Anyway, that's just a quick couple of uh, opinions of mine. Really enjoyed the shows. Look forward to hearing something soon. Okay, Thank Tom. You. Thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. You know... That uh, that Sig P250 that you're talking about, I don't know. I, I kind of I think I'm with you in that. I think it's it's probably more of a maybe of a gimmick or like a marketing thing where you could you know sort of change the stuff out. Uh, I, I when those when those things came out, I and I'd found out about them. I'd kind of thought, oh, that you know, at first you think, man, that'd be kind of neat to be able to change stuff and do this and do that, but. You know, when it's not really that practical because I think what you would probably do is end up maybe shooting whichever caliber you're going to feel the most comfortable with and not, and then probably not really go back and forth too much. Um, I don't know how much those cost. I haven't really priced them out. Uh, I guess I could go look it up. Okay, well, from what I could tell, it looks like it's around probably anywhere from, oh, around $500, $550, right around there uh, for that. Uh, but like I said, for me, I, I think I would I would kind of agree with Tom that I think instead of having, let's say, like the 9mm or being able to switch down, you know, from the full to the subcompact by, uh, you know, taking the gun apart and changing out different things on it, I think I would much rather just have two guns uh, and then you know you, you've got the option like you said if you were with uh, your spouse or your uh, you know a friend of yours and something went down and you happen to have two guns you could always give that to somebody else uh, so anyway i know the likelihood of something like that is uh, is pretty rare but uh, all in all i think the being able to do that is kind of more of a gimmick um because i think probably what would happen is that you would 
you would get comfortable sort of with one or the other and then you would just you know you just stick with that so uh, but uh, let's see i'm kind of losing track here uh, you can tell it's been a while since i've done a show huh uh, so anyway thanks for sending that in tom i appreciate it hope to hear from you again soon one other quick thing about that email that i got uh, from tony he was talking about that he had pocket carried the uh, the glock 26 before uh, and it's it's right probably about the biggest thing you could pocket carry, I think, kind of comfortably. I've done it before, um, but because of its size and, and the weight of it, uh, it can be a little difficult. You have to have like a, a bigger pocket like in some of the cargo pants and things like that. Um, what can happen though, I, I've carried in a, a DeSantis, like a pocket uh, holster, and when you, if you're just walking around, it usually doesn't print too much. But what happens is if you go to scent down, um, because the gun is pretty good size, it does tend to print. Uh, my solution for that was is I took a handkerchief and kind of bunched it and balled it up around kind of the bottom part of the gun, uh, and then and then had it up a little bit too, where it didn't interfere with where I could reach in and get it. But uh, what it looked like when I sat down is it just looked like I had, you know, like a handkerchief or some keys or something in my pocket. It didn't look like a gun. And the problem I had before is if I didn't do that handkerchief in there, when you sit down, it clearly looks like you've got a gun in there. Dep again, depending on the type of pants that you wear. Um, when you're walking around, though, it still looks like you've got something in your in your pocket. It looks like maybe you've got like an iPhone or a... Uh, maybe your wallet or something is in there. It doesn't look so much like a gun, but again, the second you sit down, um, that's when it kind of it kind of just print a little bit more. But I did solve that with the uh, uh, with the um, the handkerchief in the pocket, uh, so that it doesn't look like a gun. It just looks like you got a bunch of junk in there. Uh, so I did want to go ahead and throw that in. Now, on a little bit of a different tact, uh, and this was a while back. A lot of you guys know, of course, that I live in Arizona. And recently we had one of the bills that was passed but was actually vetoed by the governor was a, and they, they kind of erroneously call it a campus carry bill. Um, it, it's really not a campus carry bill uh, that, you, that you or I would think of when we think of something like that. Uh, and, and unless you're in the know, they don't usually explain the difference. Um, and anyway, uh, what the bill was for the, you guys that maybe don't know is it started out as campus carry, much like they have in Utah. And what it got kind of pared down to was a, a thing where if you're cutting through campus, if you were walking and you happen to be a concealed carry person, if you were, uh, let's say that if I was in, here in Arizona, in Tempe, if I was going through ASU and I was walking on the sidewalk or something like that, and I'm walking down the university street, at some point, I'm like, if, if you're on university and you're walking through, at, at a certain point, you're right in the middle of the college campus. Um, and so what this bill was saying is that if you're on a, a public right-of-way, so like the sidewalks, uh, or in a, maybe a public common area, so and I and I think that would have been like on the uh, 
like the grass areas or what you would maybe sometimes we call them out here like the green belt areas uh, but pretty much it was saying if you're going through you know on the sidewalk or if you're driving through in a car and you've got a concealed carry uh, permit and you're concealing carry and actually it wasn't even for the permit because we, we that's changed but it just I think it basically said if you were just going through you could be on a sidewalk and you you then would not be uh, in violation of having a gun on campus type thing well, anyway, she vetoed it, She's, and her, her reasoning behind it was she said that it was not, uh, it wasn't spelled out clear enough, which I, I thought it was, but uh, I wanted to go ahead and read what Brewer said her defense was of the, um, of her vetoing those gun bills, and she also had vetoed some other ones, but uh, I'll go ahead and read this quote. Uh, the sponsor of laws to broaden the right to carry guns in Arizona lashed out this week at Governor Jan Brewer for vetoing them. Senator Ron Gould, Republican of Lake Havasu City, said he did not believe the governor's claims that the measures were flawed and had to be rejected. He said she was just, quote, looking for cover, end quote, trying to find any excuse at all to veto them. But the governor said on Monday... There were legitimate reasons for her actions. She said both were badly crafted. Brewer, however, refused to commit to signing a version of the measure that was clear. One bill would have permitted people to carry guns on the public rights of ways through the campuses of community colleges and state universities. And just last Friday, uh, Brewer rejected another measure that would have said people could bring their weapons into public buildings unless entrances had metal detectors and security guards. Quote, on the guns on campus bill, she sided with educational bureaucrats and their irrational fear of guns, end quote, he said. And Gould said the governor, quote, sided with government over the people, end quote, on weapons in public, pay, uh, excuse me, on weapons in public buildings. Brewer denied that's the case. I thought they were, quote, I thought they were not written properly, the governor said. Some of them, of course, conflicted with federal law, Brewer continued, and they were so ambiguous that people would actually never really, really know where they could and couldn't carry weapons. End quote. Gould wasn't buying it. Quote, a lot of times, if you don't agree with the policy, you badmouth the bill that so you can create wriggle Rig, wiggle room, good heavens, wiggle room for yourself so that you theoretically don't take a hit for killing something that the conservative base supports, end quote, he said. Brewer said that's not the case. Quote, you know, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment, she said. And she did uh, sign legislation last year making Arizona only the third state in the country after Alaska and Vermont. And of course, I'm going to step in here a little bit. Also, it's, uh, um, oh, who the heck is it? Wyoming, I think, is now one of the states, too. To allow anyone to carry a concealed weapon with or without training or a background check. Um, you know, and again, when they, when they say, I'm stepping in again, when they say kind of stuff like that without a background check or training, again, that's kind of a little bit of hyperbole there, I think. Anyway, uh, I'll continue on. Quote, and this is going to be from Gould. Quote, she can uh, try and spin it any way she wants to spin it, Gould said. And she can claim that she's a conservative and she can claim that she supports gun rights. 
but she didn't support gun rights last week, end quote. Despite her argument that drafting problems were the only issues she had with the legislation letting guns in buildings, the uh, governor sidestepped questions about what she would do with the future and presumably, good heavens, presumably better crafted measure. Uh, and the reason, that's the end of the article. Now, the reason I'm, I'm kind of bringing that stuff up to bear, I kind of agree uh, with Representative Gould on this one. I do think that she is uh, trying to create some wiggle room for her. She has in the past been very supportive uh, but I do think that she feels because that, uh, especially guns on campus, is such a hot-button issue. She feels maybe this is somewhere where she can uh, gain a little ground uh, for the other side while seeming to uh, say, look, if it was just better written, um, you know, we'd be able to go ahead and get it passed type thing. Um, there is no denying, of course, that she has supported stuff in the past. Uh, and she was a much better supporter and a much better friend to the gun community out here than, of course, Napolitano would have ever been. Uh, and for those of you guys that don't know uh, Napolitano, if that name sounds familiar, she is the uh, director of Homeland Security, and she was actually our former governor here in Democrat. And uh, now she's working up for Obama. Um... You know, one of the things, too, is she, she talks about how the law was very ambiguous. Uh, now, this, this article was dated uh, May 6th, so it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then we have another one that came a few days later, and it's talking about uh, where she signed in a law that would let her create a, uh, like a state guard. Um, so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and, and read that, and then I'll kind of tie in the two a little bit later. Governor Jan Brewer said just because she signed legislation letting her create an Arizona State Guard for any reason at all does not mean she intends to actually do that. Quote, I don't know exactly what the intent of the legislation was, Brewer said after uh, approving the measure crafted by Representative Jack Harper, a Republican of Surprise, Arizona. But the governor said she figured it could not hurt. Quote, Certainly I'm not going to refuse the opportunity in case we need to have our own state guard, end quote, she said. Harper, however, said he sees the measure as the first step to Arizona having its own force under control of the governor who could be called to help secure the border. Quote, I think we need a volunteer force to help Arizona in its hour of need, end quote, he said. The Arizona Constitution already empowers the governor to call out the unorganized militia of the state. It consists of all capable citizens between the age of 18 and 45 and those who have declared the intention to become citizens. And existing law already permits the governor to establish an armed force for the safety and protection of the lives and property of the citizens of the state when the National Guard has been called to federal duty. Harper's legislation said the governor uh, can call out that force for, quote, any other reason she believes is necessary. He conceded that there is no money to actually do any of that. Quote, but it's another tool in the toolbox, Harper said. And he said if National Guard troops actually do leave the border, 
quote, she might take the extraordinary step of establishing the state guard by executive order and using what she has in the emergency fund, end quote. That, however, is not going to happen. Quote, I don't know how we're going to implement that, Brewer said. She said the legislation provides no funds to help it set up, and the governor said there are, quote, not really any directions, end quote, on how it should operate. Harper says he foresees volunteers emerging with their own equipment, willing to patrol the border or do any other duties as assigned. That, however, still leaves the question of training or the lack of it. Quote, certainly before we move forward, I think there would have to be some kind of rules and regulations and possibly legislation, end quote, Brewer said. And yes, I would be concerned about, uh, parenthetically, members being trained, end quote. Harper said he tried to get some money put into the legislation to create at least one full-time position under the state adjutant general who would be responsible. That, however, did not happen. But Harper said he believes that Posse's... Uh, oh, excuse me. There's a misprint here. Um, Harper said that he believes that poses no obstacle to training. Quote, There are an awful lot of people leaving active duty military uh, that are more than capable of training other volunteers, end quote, he said. Now, the reason that I brought that up, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, basically, one of the things I don't like about it is I, I don't like the fact that any legislation gives a, uh, you know, a governor or anybody in the government kind of carte blanche to do sort of whatever they want to do. Uh, and of course, on that one, she signed that right into right into uh, right into law. Even though what she said is she didn't know exactly, and I'll, I'll quote it again: "quote I don't know exactly what the intent of the legislation was." End quote. So she's fine signing something into law that is going to increase the power of the state government and increase the power of her office. But she's not fine on doing that, uh, you know, when, when she's not even sure, doesn't know exactly what the intent of the legislation was. She doesn't even know what the intent of it was. But she, but she thinks that it's unclear that you could, have, you could walk through a public right-of-way on a campus and, and, if, and, and have a concealed carry. You know, I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. You know, on one side, she's doing something that increases her power and the power of the office. On another side, she is uh, siding with other politicos and gaining some political favor. And you might ask, well, why would she do that? And the answer to that is, in Arizona, the way that it's set up is, uh, I'd previously mentioned that Napolitano, who was our governor and who was on her last term, uh, took the position when Obama offered it to her in the homeland in homeland security. And Arizona does not have a lieutenant governor. We have a secretary of the state. And what that person does then, if the governor leaves office or is kicked out or uh, resigns for whatever reason, that person will come in, finish out the rest of that term, and then at the next election, if they so desire, they can run. Well, the way that Arizona is set up for the position of governor is you can only serve two consecutive terms. 
Now these, the, and the way that the law says is basically it, once you serve a term, it doesn't matter if you came in and you served the full, uh, let, let's say that the, uh, uh, the elected governor got killed in a, in a plane accident two days after they were elected, and then the Secretary of State came in and fills it. So they, they do you know, basically a full four-year term. Um, and then they could run again, and if they got elected, they could do another four years. But then after that, since they've served two terms of office, then they have to wait another full term before they could run again. So they would have to wait another full four years. Now, the law here says if you serve any part of any term, meaning you could come in and serve two days of a term, and the way that the law says is that means that you've done two terms. You've served two terms, consecutive terms of governor, and so you'd have to wait. Well, what she wants to do, she won this last election. And then again, she came in and she filled in for Napolitano. And so under the law, she's actually filled her two terms. But she's already come out saying that she thinks that she should be able to to run another term. So meaning that what she would what you would then have is basically 10 years of her as a governor. Uh, but I think that that would be challenged, but I think and I think what she's doing now is maybe kind of of uh with some of her vetoes and some of the things that she's doing, she's kind of greasing the wheels further down the road for when she wants to run. And I'm not sure what her argument is going to be. Uh, she's already, you know, made some some statements that oh, that that thing has always kind of been in question. Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm supportive of people that support the Second Amendment and everything, and, and that that try and help us with gun rights. But you got to remember, these people are are politicians, and a lot of them, not all, but but almost all of them uh, want power. And once they get power, especially once you're higher up and you have some uh, kind of a taste of power, it's sort of hard to give that up. That's a, Power is a very potent drug uh, for a lot of these people. And so I think what she's probably going to do is she's probably going to try and, and uh, pull some you know, shenanigans where she's going to say that she filled in or something like that. And so she wasn't actually elected to, to, you know, two terms in a row. And so she should be able to run again. Uh, but we'll see when that happens. Um, and I'm not exactly sure when she's going to come up uh, again. I think it's, uh, what was it be like 2014 or something like that when she'll, but when we'll see what kind of happens then. But, uh, again, a lot of times it's never too early for those guys to kind of grease the wheels. And so when she said, Hey, if they're, you know, if they're going to have to do some special vote on it or this or that, you know, she may be able to call in some favors at that time. So, but anyway, I, th I thought it was very interesting that in, in one thing she says that, you know, things aren't written clear enough, and uh, when when they they really they were, uh, there wasn't a lot of, I, I think that it was pretty well defined, um, and I think that she kind of cut that off because it was kind of a hot button issue and she's kind of weaseling around it, but when there is something that kind of creates her own, uh, creates more power in her own office, you know, that, that somehow manages to get through, even though she's not sure what the intent of the law was. Uh, also, and this is getting back to the article about her talking about when she vetoed uh, the, what we'll call the campus carry bill. 
she stated that some of them, quote, some of them, of course, conflicted with federal law, end quote. But of course, <laughs> with with the, the border stuff that she's doing and with the passage of 1070, a lot of that stuff kind of conflicted with federal law and she didn't have a problem at that time doing it. So, you know, it's just, it's just real disingenuous and I was... Uh, not surprised, but disappointed uh, that she did that. So uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and kind of change subjects here a little bit. It's going to still be on politics, but it's not going to be on uh, on local stuff. Now, a lot of you guys know, if you follow me over on Facebook or on uh, Twitter, that I recently put out some stuff, and a lot of times I'll retweet a lot of things that uh, Ron Paul does. And I am a big, big fan of his. I believe in a lot of the stuff that uh, he talks about, especially when we're talking about uh, economic policies, when we're talking about uh, a lot of the military stuff. Uh, but as you, as you guys know, uh, I don't agree with every single thing he says, but uh, for the most part, I would, uh, I would definitely uh, vote for him, and I think he would make a good president. I know there are others out there that would disagree, but what I want to talk about is a couple of things. And the first is, he is one of the only guys that has consistently said over the years, from 19, what was it, 76, 77, when he first got elected? Up until now, he has always been a defender of the Second Amendment. And he has always been a defender of private property rights. And remember, a lot of times when people think about private property, what they think about, is they think about just the land that their house sits on. They think about their house. Or if they've got a business, they think about that business is my private property. But you got to remember, your car is your private property. All your firearms are your private property. And most importantly, your money is your private property. Um, so... If you've got a guy, and, that, and that's, and, and he sort of believes and understands that stuff too. You're not going to find a candidate who's stronger on support of the Second Amendment. You're not going to find a guy who openly speaks about in speeches over and over again about that the government should be in place to protect private property rights, and that you, as an individual citizen in this country, have a right to have a gun to defend your own property and, of course, yourself. Uh, a lot of these politicians do a lot of stuff where they kind of wiggle around and squirm and do the little wormy dance and all that stuff. He's one of the guys that doesn't. Now, what you're going to notice is that a lot of these neocon guys um, and a lot of these guys that are in the hip pockets of the Republican Party uh, you know, you look at guys like uh, Limbaugh and guys like Hannity and, and uh, uh, some of those other jokers. I don't listen to those guys too much. Um, I, I find that they they very rarely, anything that, uh, of course, Bush did was 100% right. Anything that the Republican Party wants is 100% right. Anything that Obama does or the Democratic Party does or the other, the other side does is 100% wrong and, and is a completely terrible thing. Um, most of you guys know I'm not a big fan of either party. Uh, I like a lot of what the, the, the Libertarian Party stands for. 
again, I'm not a huge advocate of, of you know having huge party organizations and things. Eventually, they they get corrupted. Um, but I'm not an anarchist either, uh, and some people think anarchy basically means that there's no law, no order, no this, no that. But that's that's really not what it is. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into the kind of the differences of that right now. But anyway, one of the things I wanted to talk about was you're gonna notice a lot of these guys, a lot of these conservative guys, a lot of the guys on Fox, a lot of the, and then a lot of the the, all the liberal guys, a lot of the guys on the left, uh, a lot of the guys on MSNBC, CNN, a lot of those places. You're gonna see them before before they were saying, you know, gee, Doctor Paul, we may disagree with you on this one issue here, but you sure are right along with this, and you've got really good ideas, and blah, 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 blah. Well, what you're going to start to see, and they're going to do it under the guise of saying that, well, you know, if you're, if you're uh, putting forth your, uh, you know, that you're going to run for president, you're going to, you want to be a candidate, and you're going to try and win the primary, we're going to have to ask these hard questions and come at you pretty hard. And that's, that's going to be kind of a smoke and mirrors. What they're really going to try and do is both sides are going to try and discredit them. Because while both sides, the conservative side and the liberal side, tend to agree with certain of his positions, they don't agree with with some of the opposite things. So the left doesn't want him to get rid of any of the entitlement and welfare programs. The right doesn't want him to get rid of any of the industrial military complex programs. Uh, neither want them to get want him to really reduce and limit the side of government. So you're going to start to see things where they're going to start to discredit him. They're going to start to have a lot more people on there that are saying, this guy's a kook, he's a nut, he doesn't know what he's saying. Um, you're also going to start to see more stories in the news popping up about people that even if there's some wacko fringe group that claims that they, you know, they want to get back to the Constitution and blah, 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 and all this stuff that they're saying... Uh, those stories are going to start to pop up more and they're going to start painting uh, people like Dr. Paul, people like um, Gary Johnson, guys like that. They're going to say these guys are you know, so whacked out of their skull and they're going to try and do the thing where they're going to associate him you know, with those groups and say, well, you know, this guy is just a wacko like, uh, like all these other crazy things. What was it, the Sovereign Citizen Group or something was a story that was just on the news lately. Uh, and they were basically painting the picture of how these guys were these nut jobs that just believed in the Constitution and this and that. Um, so again, it's 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 going to be deliberate. It's going to be somewhat subtle at first. Uh, it's not going to be too subtle to where if you're if you're just looking for it, you're you're going to notice it. Um, I would like to see him win the primary. I'd like to see him win the presidency. I don't know if that will happen. He's going to be the guy that I'm going to support. And the guy that I'm going to vote for, uh, like I said, I don't agree with every single thing that the guy says. Uh, but on monetary policy, I think he's right there. Uh, I, I think on the majority of his foreign policy on what he thinks, I'm kind of with him too on that. Um, and again, not every single thing, but you're not going to agree with any candidate. I don't care who you are. You're not going to agree with every single thing that any candidate has, whether you're a liberal guy, whether you're a, you know, a conservative guy, whether you're a neocon, whether you know, 
you know, you're a communist, whatever, there's probably going to be somebody, if they're espousing certain values that you like, there's going to be some things that they're going to say and do that you're not going to agree with. Either they're not going far enough or they're going too far, uh, you know, this type of thing. Uh, but again, I don't think, and I, I want to bring this up again, I do not think there is going to be a stronger person who would fight for individual freedom, individual liberty, and also at the same time fight for individual accountability and individual responsibility, which nobody in our government has done for a long, long time. All right, well, political rant over. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Sorry it took so long to get another one out. I don't know if I'll get one out next week. Uh, depending on how I feel, I've got a knee surgery coming up on Friday, so we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but maybe, probably not this weekend, but maybe next weekend I'll get a show out. All right, guys, I will talk to you next time. Music heard on today's show. The uh, first part uh, in the intro was provided by Kevin McLeod. Uh, the song that you're going to hear now is provided courtesy of Jamendo as the website. Uh, the artist is named Talco. The name of the song is Combat Circus. I'm a Superhuman strength. Oh,